0: Persistent and Nasty Podcast has teamed up with We Edition to offer our listeners 25% off monthly subscription. Head over to We Edition and type in Nasty, all capital letters, 25 at checkout. I have said it before, I will say it again. We Edition really are the future of casting. And also, you can make money while being a member on the site. You can um, be a scene partner for people and you can help with accents. You can just generally help each other out. And it's a really important thing for us to. To do especially during these times and just a lovely way to have community our other offer for our listeners is still with backstage backstage are offering our actors 12 months free subscription you heard that right 12 months free if you follow the link in the description box for casting directors you can post free castings when you type in persistent and nasty at checkout Hello, you gorgeous law, and welcome to another episode of the Persistent and Nasty Podcast. Elaine here, how are you all doing? Well, it's been another week, everybody. We've got through it well done. I hope that you're staying well, uh, staying at home, if you can, obviously. I know there are lots of you that can't. I'm washing your hands, wearing your masks, and being kind to each other. Today is the second part of our episode with Emma Jane Park and Rosie Priest. Misha couldn't make part two, but we have Louise! Yay! Um, we cover so much in this episode that I don't even think I'm going to try and summarize for a uh, for summarize it for you. That's what I'm trying to say. I'm just going to let you listen to it. You can follow us on all social media. Twitter at PersistentNasty, Instagram at persistent and nasty, Facebook at PersistentAndNasty. And if you want to get in touch about anything, just send us an email to persistentandnasty at gmail.com. As always, thank you to all of you who continue to support us. And if you wish to chuck us the price of a cuppa. um, The link for our PayPal is in the bottom. Please, if you can remember to like, subscribe and review the podcast. It really does make a huge difference and we are so, so grateful. I think really that's it for today. Um, So yeah, enough of me rambling on. Sit back, relax and enjoy. Do it. We're doing it. we're talking about what's happening what's going on fuck knows what's happening in this fucking stinky world um well we had the chat about listing artists yeah
1: Mm. we did we did I wasn't here last week on that (laughs) (laughs) was it last week I'm talking about it yeah it it was last last week. week Was it last week? and then you no know meaning. we've
0: had the whole week of um our government not giving a fuck about our young people so
1: it just a lot's happened yeah a lot has happened um yeah leader of the opposition jack monroe fixed free school meals like it happened and then she fixed it in the time i think that you guys recorded the first half of this
2: yeah,
1: yeah. things move real fast
2: like the, Ferris
1: Bueller would say. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Only if they get picked up by this, by certain kinds of press, though. You know? Yes. Otherwise, yeah. things don't at all, right?
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Somebody tweeted something today that I thought was really interesting. I think it was Darren Furness, who I follow. I can't remember why I follow who he is. But he said, he said I literally just liked it today. That's why it's fresh in my head. Uh, he tweeted that the media just don't use certain words like you never see the media using words like capitalism neoliberalism or mm. you know any of these or any of the things like privatization tax avoidance um, imperialism class system like they don't ever use these words to when reporting on these things that are happening that fall into these categories and I think that's quite interesting because we never call it out our media never calls it out for what it actually is um and therefore the narrative around it being something else or being acceptable because you can make excuses if you label it something else so it never really gets yeah. stressed. I don't know that thought was kind of petering out but it just it is.
2: <laughs> and I think you see it in the arts in fact that feeds into a lot of what we were saying about the stage 100 is that they sort of preambled it by saying oh the one thing that we do know has happened within this pandemic is that power structures have been removed and we're all in the same boat, which just isn't true because you need to create that narrative to justify any rhetoric that you want Mm -hmm. and to, like, sort of wipe away... There was the big thing in The Guardian, I tweeted about it today, um, uh, about the research they did about the number of people who claim to be working class. Oh,
1: yeah, I read that.
2: Yeah, a couple of hours ago. Absolutely it's absolutely bananas Uh, and the people they spoke to like someone was an actor who went to private school and her parent was parents was a doctor and she claimed to be working class because her grandmother is of like working class heritage and it was really fascinating really interesting and it's quite interesting that within the arts there's been this real pivot to talking about class importantly like but it feels quite clumsy and it feels, um, uh, you know, I know a lot of people talk about being working class or working class heritage or working class identity, but actually it's so embroiled in a particular British way of being that there's there's not very often an actual like dissection of what that means or what that lived history looks like or the trauma that's involved in growing up poor, for example, so often people who did grow up working class, uh, there's different levels to that as well. There's different levels to being working class. You know, there's people who typically working class uh, backgrounds are people who were working. They're not mm. typically people who weren't working because there's a big stigma against not working. Yeah, uh, But it doesn't mean that they didn't grow up in extreme poverty. But at the same time, there's an awkwardness around people who did grow up in poverty not being able to talk about it, and at the same time, all of that sort of being eroded and Mm -hmm. taken away, their marginality actually being taken away and dragged into the mainstream because people aren't willing to accept their own privilege.
1: Yeah.
3: And the fact that we don't have, we just refuse, and it blows me, I think it's a societal issue, but I think we're just a microcosm of society, where I just don't think we make space for really complicated conversation like really fucking complicated we're not going to get to the end of it but the action of having the complicated conversation gets us closer to a form of understanding and I think that's it's something that stays with me all the time but I'm working at the minute with two amazing migrant artists quite a lot and we were referencing class quite a bit and they were like "Can we just have a chat and a coffee and talk about the class system and once you start and they were like, cool. So none of this, I can't fill out the box on the form because that doesn't resonate with me at all because I grew up elsewhere and I'm mm-hmm. like, shit, yeah. yeah. So there's the thing. um, But also that the metrics that are being floated around, like what did your parent do at age 14? And you know, when you're like, not that it doesn't speak to all of the stuff mm-hmm. that, um, that you carry with you. And what that yeah. like, what that actually means, and I think I think loads about social mobility because as I'm unpicking, I feel like I, I think I maybe said this last time. I think I maybe understand the arts enough now to make a <laughs> decision, but that's because I've spent 15 years pretending I understand the arts, pretending mm-hmm. I understand any of this. And this is a conversation for a counsellor more so, but having to unpick what I've assimilated and what mm-hmm. that does to that internal classism that you carry. <laughs> and yeah. that also been bred in through generations and also mm. like how filthy it feels to talk about social mobility and to have that complicated conversation to be like I was brought up in a working class family but now I make my income from the arts uh-huh. so am I like I, I don't know and I think since class has become I'm gonna say a trendy thing and I don't mm. I don't mean that there's, like there's a whole context to that because it's so complicated but I think there's a thing of wanting to claim an identity so much because it feels like there's a license with it that
2: we don't acknowledge that it is a fluid identity as well. Yeah. 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 And yeah, totally. And it changes in, and like, even in terms of like um, generations, I don't think my sister and I are the same class if I'm being honest. Like Hmm. I'm, like we grew up, who were. and but uh you know I'm studying for a PhD I live in a flat in Edinburgh I can see the sea from my window I'm not I'm doing pretty fucking all right you know yeah. uh and there's a uh, something about um the security of of parents for example in knowing that if it all went tits up that things were going to be okay that someone would have your back or you wouldn't lose you wouldn't lose your flat or you wouldn't or anything like that And that's the security that I've garnered from my partnership with living with my partner. But that's something that my sister doesn't necessarily have, even though she lives with hers. So I think that, um, it's a really complicated thing and it's really, it's, it's a particularly British thing. Mm. It's like, I never encountered it when, um, I spent a couple of years after I graduated living in Vancouver. Um, which was one of the most extreme cities I've ever lived in. It was extremely rich. Like I would deliver, I would deliver tea. I've worked for a tea organisation, but I would deliver tea to the guy who founded Lululemon, who lived in a mansion uh, (laughs) and uh, in this this other world. And at the same time, like five blocks over from his house was like, the most open, like, extreme drug use I've ever seen.
0: Yeah, in East Van, it's, like, unbelievable.
2: It's absolutely yeah. bananas. And, uh, but the concept of class just doesn't exist there. And I think it's really, it's really a role within British identity. And it's from industrialism. It's from, like... It's from a time period where we don't exist anymore. The the ways that we work aren't the same as the ways that even our grandparents worked, you know? Like, we will not be expected to have to enroll in the army. We will not be expected to have to work in mills, in, like, in severe industry, even in shipyards. Like, from the 1960s, 1970s, the way that our whole industry, economy, and even social aspects you know working men's clubs and their erosion all of that is gone and but we carry this and it feels really akin to me to when I did live in Vancouver and people would talk about oh I'm Scottish mm. I'm Scottish oh I'm Irish it's like oh have you ever been to Scotland they're like no but my grandfather sure, <laughs> my great-grandfather was Scottish or my you know like and there's a certain like badge of honor that comes with claiming that heritage that feels really similar to the badge of honor saying I come from a working class heritage but I'm doing all right. You no, know?
1: mm-hmm. yeah, it's people are kind of uncomfortable with the idea that any that they don't exist in a meritocracy, um, and this idea that. They might that the any doors that open for them might be related to privilege, no matter how small or like um, even even connected to hard work. Even if that privilege is connected to hard work, that it's just a, it's just a, an uncomfortable narrative for people. It's it's better to sort of adopt the story of our um, pull yourself up by your bootstraps grandparents because right. <laughs> um, it makes us more. I, I say us. I'm sort of using the general like you know uh, societal us. Uh, yeah it's just something about that that just makes people more comfortable and it's weird
3: yeah it also makes me feel really weird though because if I think it so I knew almost all of my great grandparents apart from one and wow. um, very, very young parents who were the children of very young parents um, which is great like what a, what a such a lucky upbringing um but my great granddad George who fought in the war um, not like some of these people online currently who weren't alive in the war, but speak as if they fought in the war, actually fought in the war. <laughs> um he used to say, yeah, I'm not going to do an impression because he was from Birmingham originally, had this like glorious, very slow, rummy accent. But he used to say, just remember, and I was like eight, we fought the war, so you never had to. And I'm just like, there's something that makes me want to tear up because I think, like, how how dare we need to live some kind of trauma porn or imagine we need struggle Mm -hmm. when someone like him is sitting with PTSD and God knows what he witnessed. And he genuinely was like, I did it so you don't have to. So this badge of honour struggle thing irks me loads because I'm just like, what Mm -hmm. systemically, what is enforcing that and encouraging that? And it speaks to like in the microcosm we work in, like the martyred artist, Getty like
1: yeah um, no nobody wants to admit that they're they're subsidizing their process through the bank of mum and dad like nobody yeah. wants to admit that even if mum and dad were like sort of socially upwardly mobile from whatever background they came from even if that's true or not they don't need to be like landowning etonites but still like nobody wants to admit that to be part of their story because it doesn't it doesn't sound well, good <laughs> like, also like part of me thinks we're we're encouraged to make sure that
3: doesn't sound good so I say that right I'm sitting on a bed in my parents house because it, just over a year ago I moved back in with my parents as a base because I couldn't afford to maintain living in the central belt
2: mm.
3: because I couldn't work at the rate I was working to be able to afford that and actually exist as a functioning human and um, like really dangerous mental health territory and now I'm in this sticky situation where I should acknowledge that privilege, which is great, but you're meant to feel dirty because I'm Mm. living with my parents. So I have to put the disclaimer in that I am paying digs. Um, Even though I know that I'm paying digs and at any point could be like, there is no money to pay digs. Um, So I'm not meant to be okay with that. I'm meant to be a bit embarrassed because I'm in my thirties and living with my parents. So I've not made it and there's nowhere in between. Like, so basically it's like being a woman in many respects, um where you're just fucked on all fronts yeah yeah. whatever approach you take you're in the wrong and again I I want to live in a world where we sit with that kind of complexity and we're okay to go every situation is different Um, and but the big question I would like to ask for my situation is going technically I have the safety net of mom and dad's now Mm -hmm. if I don't make enough money to Mm -hmm. pay my digs but why should I at age 35 when I work quite consistently in a sector or whatever it is, need to live with my parents in order to have a safety net. That's my big question. And when you get into that and you get into redistribution in any way, people are like, oh, whoa, 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 yeah, let's let's talk about
1: something else. Also, follow up question to that: how this is and it's about perception, I think, as well, and how it's how the, the perception has been deliberately structured. How is the support you're currently receiving? from your mum and dad different from the 10 grand that somebody might be getting to pay for the rent that they have on their London flat or whatever. It's the same, it's the same thing. It's support from mum and dad. It just looks different. Right. It looks, you can hide the, the, the one where you're getting a check written by mum and dad, you can hide actually yeah. that behind a veil of independence. Um, That's so
0: funny though, because I think my opinion, and this is so, and uh, i calling out my own, judgment and everything on that because actually I think Emma living with her mum and dad I think the people that are getting that 10 grand to go and live and do all that are far more are, are quote-unquote better off than yeah, having I mean, to go yeah, back they, and live they with have your a bit more autonomy, yeah and, and yeah. because well it, well if, if I had to go and live with my mum and dad they couldn't afford to give me 10 grand to yeah. pay me through in London but they could afford me to stay in the house because the heating's already on and the water's mm-hmm. already running and I would pay my digs for that extra bit and you know so it's just those little things so for me that's a I know what I know exactly what you're saying yeah. but it's just that, that that isn't that funny that triggers something totally different because it makes me go you're yeah and it's
3: woven in loads of other things as well and I think that's what I'm learning is is it depends if people think I'm an asshole or not, whether this situation's okay. Because let's be honest, personally. So there's, I have heard narratives of being like, oh, so she's she's set to give up. Or because like my mental health comes into it, I have heard people be like, oh, so finally she's like had to move home. um, Or aren't you so privileged living with your parents? Or how lovely you can spend time with your parents. And I just, I think we need to sit in a situation where we're like, the specifics can be painted in a multitude of ways and in painting them in a multitude of ways we're neglecting the bigger issues about our society and I've like to be honest the past week I've had a great time and listened to loads of podcasts about what it means to live with family and in like an intergenerational way and generally they're from people of Asian descent or like Asian families and that and just being like your way of thinking about this is way better than the way I came yeah. up with, which like somehow independence is a mark of like,
0: woo mm. But there's also, there's something in our society changed because you go back two generations and grandparents were living with parents yeah. and people, were, people would move in with their parents when they first got married and they would stay there, especially if you were quote unquote from a working class family background. Like I know for a fact that my gran and grandpa moved in with my great gran until they could like save up enough money to go and live in a one-bedroom flat in Aikenhead Road like you know mm. it, it's the it's the difference of like the, what what happened when did that happen when did that stop I wonder.
3: The age of individualism I'm not yeah. saying that's a definitive answer but it's something like which tells us background to last week like the stage 100 and the fact that it was prefacing a bunch of individuals Instead of prefacing the the village that raised the baby yeah. or whatever, um, and just that whole like I say, it's a, it's a sign of failure to not be like independently independently financially stable. And part of me wants to be like, my dad's my best pal. I get to hang out with my dad every single day. Like we have some of the worst chat that makes <laughs> like, the best thing ever, just in passing. Like or four times a day what why would i want to be that kind of independent when i can have
2: that kind of yeah. Like, love life? Mm. yeah yeah i think i don't think it's endemic within the arts but it's definitely i mean it but it's we judge ourselves really harshly and we judge others really harshly by these certain standards that we see that are perpetuated by the list 100 that are perpetuated by sorry the stage 100 that are perpetuated by these constant reminders of people doing these incredi- oh, it's incredible it's going to be the
0: list at some point let's let's just see it yeah.
2: <laughs> the list. This is just a hundred trash men that we can set on fire and uh, be ev- evicted from the arts in general um but that those It's murky and it's gritty and it's grim and talking about class is grim because also it's antiquated. It's an antiquated understanding of how people work and how they grew up and the trauma that's involved in growing up poor or the trauma that's involved in growing up without much of anything. And it's embroiled within this identity which is antiquated and doesn't fit a contemporary society, which means that it can be easily mimicked and taken on board by other people and you're so right Emma when you were talking about um the things that you've assimilated years and years and years ago I got a job working at the National Galleries as a curatorial assistant and my accent because I grew up just South Carlisle I was actually quite close to where you are now Emma I (laughs) know uh Uh, and my northern accent just disappeared within I would say within about five minutes of my interview for that job I realized that I wasn't the same as the people that were in this room and it's something that I actively worked on like over time my friends always take the piss they're like you get really you have two beers and like we can't decipher what you're saying
1: but (laughs) it's that uh, that's it's code switching that isn't it like yeah. uh, the black community talk about that quite a lot in terms of because it's very prevalent and and how they live have to live their lives um code switching to sort of be more amenable or or uh, to sort of have a more attractive passport to move through whatever world that you're trying to move through um i think the other thing sorry i'm jumping about a bit forgive me um that there's something really gross to me about the adopting of the working class hat because what you've you've all touched on it this idea that what we're not talking about is the really really grim reality of what it means to be really poor, like that's not attractive so, to don the working class identity label because it makes you sound a little bit more, I don't know whatever the cultural narrative needs you to sound like. Um, it negates the, the 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 trauma you mentioned, Rosie, of like when you are dirt poor, there is very very little opportunity for upward mobility it is not it's almost impossible to get a foot on that first lad on the first rung of of any ladder like so just worrying about whether or not you can eat or keep the lights on is a very traumatic experience um and that's not what it's getting discussed when these articles, like, we don't, the, the, the detail of that is not presented. Oh, and I think it's like, that's why it's quite, that article in The Guardian, I saw it, it's little Twitter flurry today with people going like, are you fucking serious, Ella? Yeah. Acting, actor Ella talking about being working class but going to private school. It's like, but it was just a cheap private school. Like, no. Money, no <laughs> <laughs> like how that's
3: presenting itself in the current situation there's so much I could say about this but the notion that everyone's like how do we stop the freelancers leaving and you're like anyone who was brought up dark poor and is still dark poor has left yeah. do you honestly think they're hanging around for your 250 pound commission yeah. no they're not yeah. because yeah. that fear lives in you and yeah, that's, I look at the amount of, and this isn't, it's all about me, but the amount of overwork and the nature, I've been reading a lot about scarcity lately and the academic study of scarcity and how scarcity presents itself the same, regardless where your poverty lies, if you're time poor, money poor, whatever, like how you say yes and just, it's really emotional to read and realise that the notion of overwork that is celebrated anyway in the industry Mm -hmm. already was there and embedded because there's such a fear Mm -hmm. of not having enough money to live that it's just like yeah and I'll find a way to make it work and I'll pull an extra shift and it it's filthy and Mm I for me the flip of that is also filthy where I'm just like why are we still living in a world of patronage and benevolence why isn't everything pay what you can afford and the answer is because you've got people living with the scarcity mindset. And the other side of that, just some egos that want you to sit and stroke them. Yeah. So people don't want to pay what they can afford because they want the beauty of going, I forward purchased a ticket. And I say this is re- like I ran a suspended ticket initiative blah, blah, in 2014 or whatever, um, which was great. And now I, I have the knowledge to sit and go, I really changed my mind about that as a whole model. I don't Maybe paying it forward in a coffee shop kind of works because it's a physical thing that can be stacked up in the short term and given out. With theatre tickets, it doesn't work because it's just another way of someone having ownership over me as a person who can't afford the ticket. Like, aren't you great because you've paid for my ticket? No, you should pay your fucking taxes. You should acknowledge your inherited wealth and we should deal with all of that. That (laughs) would be great. You You own four properties, you're a landlord. Let's have a conversation about that. I don't need your £10 ticket. I need not to be paying 800 a month in rent. For a pretty poor service, to be yeah. honest.
1: <laughs> yes. yes, yes,
3: yes. Sorry. And
2: the, the, the the there is a the people who you see thriving, who are doing incredibly well, are the people who can take six months out, five months out, because they can write that play, they can fucking make that work. They don't have to apply to Creative Scotland. Apply to all of these funds, gather up that 250 quid that they got from, and I was filling out an application form the other day for, to continue this incredible piece of work, which I started with uh, Stella Quines, and when I leave, I want to carry on individually with this group of young mums who live in Muir House, and I was filling out this application form, and it was for like 600 quid, and I was on words like 3,000, and I was like, the amount of work I've done on this alone is worth 600 pounds. Exactly. Like, I shouldn't be asking for £600 so that I can buy food vouchers for us to cook together. That should just be made available somehow. And actually, the arts is icky and grim, and one of the things that I've had to spend a lot of time coming to terms with, and I'm actually really lucky because I got some momentum funding to explore it, is how the fuck can I legitimise working with some of society's most vulnerable, poorest most silenced, marginalized people in an art form which does not support those most vulnerable, marginalized, silenced people that regularly underpays them, under supports them, and delegitimizes them. Things like the fucking Stage 100 saying, Oh, well done to Mike and David Gregg at the fucking Lyceum for you work on Shekel Boy- like, Boyo, the lament of Shekel Boyo. Like, fuck that. It was the women of colour who did that work, who were being underrepresented and silenced by you actively. How can I legitimise my work outside of the sector, but still using those sectoral tools? Because when we talk about working class, there's a certain point where I think, you know, we're being given a platform right now. We're being given a great platform by you guys, persistent nasty, like there's people who will never get a platform like that. And how, as a sector, are we working towards and supporting them in active, positive ways and using the tools that we have to hands that we know work? Because, like, all the talk about, like, working class and, like, my background, like, yeah, that's something that I still carry with me, but there's people who are living it, and there's people who are living it fucking way worse. Mm. Like, you're having a way shittier time than I could even comprehend, and whilst we're busy playing top trumps of trauma, like, oh, my dad was in prison. Oh, my dad was a drug dealer. Oh, I didn't... Oh, I ate glass for two weeks. Oh, I just <laughs> lived on coal for four years. Whatever the fuck else we're doing, there are people who are, who are having a genuinely shitty time because yeah. of the Tories, because of fucking Brexit, because of whatever, because mm-hmm. of patriarchy, you know? Like... And actually, whilst we're all busy doing our working class, what the fuck, what class are you? Oh, what class are you? Oh, I'm oh, middle class, oh I'm working class, whatever. Like yeah. actually the realities, the lived realities of that are far grimmer than I think yeah. the sector is willing to really get into.
1: Just as a have- sidebar, sorry. no. It's no, a no. very quick one. I just I just want to know, did David Gregg and the other one who was credited with that, I can't place. remember who they, Yeah, did they? Did they have? Did they tweet? Oh, by the way, yeah, she, you should probably mention Hannah because she actually wrote it. Because I feel like that's all you need to do, guys. Pass that's all you mic. need to do. Pass the Pass mic. mic. Why? Like, because I feel like they were pretty happy to just accept. We're in the stage one hundred. Like, even if they didn't say anything about it, that stills bad. It's like, wh- why are you always so fucking quiet? on this stuff sorry that's just a sidebar for me it just it drives me insane because as I've said multiple times on this podcast you have nothing to but you nothing to lose everything to gain because you will always come across as the guy the big white guy in charge of the big theater looking great by passing the mic so you have everything to gain so why do you not like even a simple thing like tweeting just so you know the stage 100 yeah probably shouldn't have credited me simple done anyway sorry it just that just drives me around the bend <laughs> it's so easy so easy David just do it yeah. just tweet it and
3: ha- how do we call for that without that being seen
1: as oppositional Eileen like- could you send him this podcast once it's edited
0: yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um like, but how- I was actually just thinking will I just tweet him now <laughs> hey pal <laughs> see that it was hannah and not you because it'll look good for you just fucking yeah, just do it, do it. optics do we- man optics you work in fucking theater how can you not
2: see the optics i mean i don't know if you saw, i'm going to be hugely critical right now but they're doing a bunch of radio plays, and it's been marketed as it's gonna change the world as a fucking you listen to. Have you even thought of that? We've got this ingenious idea. You listen to the play, you meet your friends before, you have a drink over Zoom, you listen to the play, and then you go away. And I'm just like, what? And also, it's all these fucking John Byrne and all these people, and there's actually two very interesting people in there, but a lot of white voices who have been very platformed
1: throughout all of this pandemic
0: and also i really want to know who the actors are that are being employed because there are so many we never get to hear
1: about the actors
0: (laughs) i know but there's so many freelancers who aren't names who have lost so much work from all the little small jobs that they do that they could do with that, with that commission, that one job could make them feel fucking better about this shit of a year. Yeah,
3: yeah and that's the key. It's not just about the money, and I think that ties exactly thing, and that ties into everything. There's also the the having space to feel valued as a human. Mm. There is there's something I was just going to say about breaking the cycle of it all, and part of that ties in for me with this. How do we call these things in without it just being perceived as oppositional and then all of a sudden everyone's just like it's like whose team are you on and it's just like the world is so much more complicated and I'm like that is party politics and if we look at Westminster that's not anything to aspire to that's a shitstorm so what like and I understand that what is out with and what is within and all the rest of it system dynamics but we we pride ourselves on being able to see the world and mirror the world apparently and it's like cool so we have to do that reflection ourselves on an individual level but much more largely on an organizational and an institutional level to break those systems of of that like that weird thing and I'm gonna admit that it happens as well where sometimes you see you see someone else's success and it can feel a little bit sad for you and you're like that's filthy. I don't, I don't want to feel that. I want to be really happy for people that work in an under-resourced industry for doing anything. And it's small. Most of these people are my friends and when they're not my friends, most of them I can go, we maybe like wouldn't go to the pub together, but I really value you and the work you're doing. And some of it's work I also wouldn't watch, which is even better. Like I love to live in a world where I imagine don't have to like all the things or advocate for all the things because that would be me being a dictator mm-hmm. and that's not cool <laughs> like but instead we can't because I'll be really honest after recording last week's episode and I'm not going to listen to it I sent Elaine messages at midnight because I didn't sleep for two days because I'd mentioned Jackie Wiley's name and NTS to make a point about the fact that there's more to all of that than one person I have no beef with Jackie. I, I've had really lovely chats with Jackie. I don't particularly know her. Um, I have beef with that system, but it's really wrong that I can't feel I can have that conversation and know it's going to be public without losing two days of sleep and worrying about what that the repercussion of that is. Like There's something about people being silenced that comes in with all of that. And I think it comes back to this thing about yes you can put a class label on whatever but I'm actually worried in what that means you're bringing to the conversation and I, I, I'm being very tangential but it makes me think I attended an authentic leadership course with one of those people that deliver leadership things largely because someone was like we'll pay for you go to these things and I was like oh just a bit crack won't it be it's the start of lockdown someone's <laughs> offered to pay for the thing for me why wouldn't I um anything for a free dinner And I just, at one point, I did just make a comment where I was like, I'm really struggling with the nature of this whole conversation because I don't think, like I think you're using wanky chat to dress a lot of stuff up and no one knows what you mean by authentic because I'm going to sit here now and I'm going to swear when I talk, I'm going to do this and do that. And I don't know how that's going to land. So you're telling me to be my authentic self and I'm not sure that you want me to be my authentic self. And on the flip of that, there are some people out there and sue me if you want, Bojo, like Boris Johnson, who I don't want to be their authentic self when they're a leader. He is a racist, he is a misogynist, he is a chancer, he is, I would argue, lazy, he is pretty dangerous. And I just think, no, I'm not interested in authentic leadership, because then that opens the door for Bojo to bumble in and oh <laughs> I, yeah. and kill a hundred thousand people.
1: Yeah. And I think with the problem with the arts <clears throat> is when we talk about or we hear that phrase being bandied around, particularly for gatekeepers, what that means is be your authentic self enough for us to check a box, mm. but not too much mm. because mm. we don't want to. We don't want to hear what we don't want you telling us what we don't want to hear. We don't want you yeah, telling we... us the truth about the, si- the situation as it stands, but do it just enough so we can check yeah. this box and get this money. And, I think, um, and that's yeah. the problem.
0: And also, as I said to you, Emma, I'm like sorry. you said, nothing that was offensive or incorrect and but that doesn't matter because it's the fact that you've actually it's not just you because that's not fair because you know god Louise how often do I joke all the time that we're never getting employed ever again because we do this podcast and we call out the shit
1: we I mean it's 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 almost every it's every time we record and I would just um, like to say
0: haven't been employed so
1: I, (laughs) I I sit on side like I love this discussion because I'm sort of like I'm, I'm almost like I'm so split down the middle like I'm I'm borderline like in arguments with myself and my own head about it because part of me is like, yeah, we're joking, but also part of me thinks there's definitely a sliver of truth in it with certain organisations. There definitely it is; otherwise, it like,
0: wouldn't be there. Otherwise, like, I would never have it. thought it because. Just like Emma would never have gone, oh my God, and not slept for two days. Mm. There has to be a sliver of truth about, actually, we don't want to hear what we have to say. Mm. And we want us to continue to just be, yes, 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 yes. Even though we're not saying anything that is against them, or it's about ways of improving something and making something better and more accessible. How that is an issue, I don't understand. But the fact that it's perceived like that, is insane to me. There's also for me like the losing sleep because I don't want to hurt. My big fear is I was like, if Jackie
3: gets the tail end of this in a way without any context, a woman who's probably really stressed right now will also be upset. And I don't want to be that woman that makes another woman upset. What I do want to do is be able to have a conversation that goes, there is an innate power balance, imbalance between us. There is also a lot of stability elsewhere. Like, so I need to be able to call out that power imbalance and call out that the precariousness of other lives without it being personal and we just don't do it and we see it at the minute with all of the the pylons that are going on in several parts of the the industry shall we say and
0: particularly
3: (laughs) yeah we live in a culture societally of pylon and I'm not getting into cancel culture because that is a whole like nine years worth of podcasts but we, do, we live on a thing where, again, are you for it? Are you against it? What like? And it's just like, we need to be able to talk about people in the positions they're in to talk about the system. If not, it is an abstract concept and we can't make any level of change. What you've identified with David is, it is really easy to say to David, when you are credited for someone else's work, please shout out and credit the work to them. That is an ask, whereas if we talk about artistic director of imaginary organisation, it's really easy for everyone to look the other way and be like, oh, it can't be me. Hmm.
2: But then I think this is sort of, this is a really big problem in the arts, is that the art is marketed. You know, I remember being young and... What? uh, I remember (laughs) remember being young. I remember remember (laughs) being (laughs) young. Hold, hold the bus hold I the had
1: bus. to walk 15 miles in the snow To get to drama school or whatever. Oh, yeah. Hold We're the bus I are. am
0: the only one that can pull
1: that card <laughs>
2: Universe. never heard of
0: it I went to school of knocks I did Rosie on a side note Have you seen the girl that's done the um, The
2: The <laughs> musical, musical. <laughs> Incredible. I watched Ingenious. it and I was like, this is the character, this is the character that I put on when I'm pissed in front of all my pals. Like my friend, uh, my best friend in the whole world, Jen White, she's always like, Rosa, Rosa Priest, and she says my name in a northern accent. So I get so normal, like it's, oh my god. Um, For the listeners name? who
0: didn't find it, I will attach it in the link box, it's brilliant. This young know. girl has done a, a what it means to be northern in any musical theatre show. So it's you know.
1: amazing.
2: And I just it's brilliant. I'm gonna look forward to that
1: later. Because
3: Rosie mentioned her just a tiny shout out that Jen White is one of the best humans on the planet and working in the arts. Like woo it's great. amazing women.
2: I miss her every day. I speak to her every day, so I shouldn't really miss her every day. But Aww.
0: um but it's not the same.
2: It's not the same. I miss living in the same city as her. Yeah. Um what was I gonna say? Oh that there's a lack of we talk about change a lot in the arts we talk about being for everyone we talk about representing everyone there's a real lack of transparency in the arts in actually what that means and that comes from the top but also it comes from the bottom like i think it's disgustingly patriarchal and hierarchical in the way that it works you know it's always top down and any change any organization no matter how small like i worked in an organization of three people for two years and to get any change sorted, I had to plant an idea into the artistic director's head, and slowly manipulate and grow that idea until he was like, oh, maybe we should have some more women in this festival. Like, all right, Simon, catch the fuck on. But yes, I planted that egg, <laughs> it grew, it hatched into an idea you got there finally.
0: That's was- a badge. <laughs>
2: all right, Simon, catch the fuck on. Jesus Christ, don't even get me start on BIPOC representation within that festival, but... New person's there, so it should be okay. Um, But there is a real lack of transparency and honesty, and also about making mistakes that we all fuck up. I fuck up all the time, but because I'm not top of the chain, that fuck up is really well seen. If you're top of the chain and you fuck up, and I'm gonna use an example, which like uh, Edinburgh International Festival, programming 90% white work, in 2020, just after Black Lives Matter, really like exploded. And there was all of the incredible like marches and protests and brilliant work that was done by all of these vulnerable BIPOC people. And they still program 9% white work. And Fergus Lyndon comes out and says, oh, we didn't know. And it's because we weren't able to program internationally. So um, we weren't as diverse. That's bullshit, mate. You just need to hold your hands up and say, I fucked up massively and this is how I'm going to fix it but instead it's a constant cover-up of like choices that is done and I think there's a real lack of there's just a lack of transparency around particularly power money who's who's platformed like my partner bless him uh (laughs) I really I've grown to despise it may be unnecessarily I don't know if this man is a good man or not Ian Rankin during lockdown, because <laughs> you he's think that's, everywhere, <laughs> he's everywhere. He's in the National Thief of Scotland, he's in the Lyceum, he's fucking out on the tron, he's got a book out, he's doing all of this shit. He has got platform after platform after platform after platform. And I'm just like, I fucking don't know the guy, but he can fuck off because I'm sick of seeing his name. Like, where are other people's names? NTS did this thing where they were like, we're going to take the fee that we would pay Ian Rankin and other famous white men, and we're going to give it to artists, and that's great. But they only raised 30 grand. Ian Rankin's fee alone would be 30 grand, right? Like, how honest? What's the transparency there? Like, they get their core funding from the Scottish government in a way that no other organisation, no other theatre organisation does.
0: 4.2
2: million wild that's a wild amount of money and as a sector like i just think the people who are at the top who will be in platform the ian rankins of this world are gonna be fine they're gonna be okay but it's the people who are like scrabbling for those 200 pounds subsidy little grants bits and bobs
0: well this is what i think what i was saying earlier with the whole this lyceum thing and doing like employing the freelancers and performers um that aren't well known and aren't seen that much because actually it's a validation I hate that we need it but also for people's mental health and actually you know we're talking about the fear of losing all these creatives in our industry well you're not doing anything to keep them in then by giving these by giving these roles positions and um, platforms to people who already have a platform and will be okay they will survive
3: I also think for me there's a darker thing at play where the resistance to transparency is actually resistance to change. Because if you can't see it and can't see the problem, you can't fix it. So there is total resistance. And I'll with the freelance task force, um, back in the day, the freelance task force, task force. I hate military language. I'm not sure <laughs> anything in the arts calls itself anything militant, but there we go. Um which I have, I could speak about that a lot, but there was a situation with the performing arts venue relief funds. We were just like, can you just send us a breakdown of what money's going to get to freelancers? Like we know what you've received, that's public information. But ideally I was like, and we said, if you send us your applications, we can just lift out what we need. But what would be really useful for freelancers is a resource of everyone who's received that, what they think they might be doing and roughly when they might be doing it. So people aren't having to scroll social media and a 100 websites all the time like if if the Lyceum for example because we've been talking about them are going to be doing an open call for whatever in January those people can go ah I just need to look for that in January and instead we had a meeting where we had to some people there were some who were phenomenal and just replied some people just went there's the budget do what you want with it, maybe send it back to us so we can just read it over and make sure you've not got anything out of context. It's like, thanks, great. Some other people, there was one pretty aggressive email where it was more like you should be looking at this instead of looking at this. We we're doing like, come on, and you know, when you're like, Don't tell me where my activism should be. <laughs> Two, don't tell me what freelancers need when you're not a freelancer. And I don't believe that all freelancers need the same thing either. Whole other conversation. Um yeah but there was also like a series of meetings where it was like, well, what do we need? And that piece of work dropped off because essentially our contracts ran out and there was that thing of going, we, we don't have the energy or the time to pursue this huge piece of work that didn't need to be. But mm-hmm. I think that that's the opposition thing again. Are you going to use this to call us out? And it's like, no, I just want people to know. And also I think you're in a shitstorm. But if we knew your shit storm, we could probably be a bit more proactive and supportive, mm-hmm. but instead you're gonna hide your shit storm. So it's really easy for us to get really fucking angry about everything. Yeah. And it makes me think of gun laws. Like the reason we don't, guns are banned or very heavily licensed in this country is because the government realized after the war that having a bunch of like salt of the earth people trained in militant weapons maybe wasn't useful for government. Like, let's let's be candid. That's the history we're living through. And yeah. it feels like that is laced through everything. We can't give you too much information because what could you do with it? And I look at some of the amazing people that are working in Scotland right now. Um, and I think of Project X, Spring to Mind, the amazing work Project X are doing, um, where they're just bypassing those systems and doing what is right. And it, it saddens me because I just think if you stopped were honest about what you were doing to these other organizations, then you would see that there is another way. And that brings me full circle to the freelance task force. The evaluation, publicly available online, only references hierarchical ways of working.
2: Hmm. There
3: is, an any conversation about non-hierarchical ways of working is deemed as being structureless. And you know, when you're like, so we're fucked all the way to the core because we have a bunch of freelancers and it's taken me years to undo this thinking as well, who'd been conditioned to view the ladder as an aspiration and to mm. view the ladder as what you need to do to to do this thing, when actually what we need to do is burn the fucking ladder down. Hell like, yes. And that's yes. what...
2: That's what intersectional feminism is all about and people keep using it as a marketing tool they keep saying oh it's intersectional it's intersectional it's intersectional intersectional doesn't mean that you understand how working class intersects with being like a BIPOC artist intersectionality means that you understand that the structures that exist need to be destroyed and you need to start again Mm -hmm. you can't then have it like you can't have an intersectional theater organization which makes plays in the traditional way of having a director and an assistant director and a budget which is controlled by someone it needs you need to level this playing field mm-hmm. and the uh, and yeah
1: sorry no no on you go on you go no i was just gonna add to all of this i feel like this is where i get really fucked off with uh when we talk about the bigger organizations and their reluctance to sort of climb down out of the treehouse uh, Particularly in moments of crisis, where they should be engaging with their community in a really vocal and transparent way, that resistance to transparency throws up red flags for me. Because I'm a bit like, because I've arrived at a place in my life where you know, um, I do have a, a a job that I work three days a week that is is secure and safe, but I arrived at that getting that job through years of freelance and years of of running myself ragged. And for the first time in my entire adult life, it's taken me till to, to, to 36 to get to a place where I don't necessarily want to climb a ladder. I don't want to climb a ladder. I don't see what I want to do next status-driven because I know I'm good at what I do. But you, if, if I am freelance again, or, or even in the context of the job I currently have, you should be listening to me. These organisations should be listening to the freelance community, to the community that makes what they do possible. And any resistance to collaboration or dialogue with that community makes me think, what the fuck are you not telling us? What are you hiding? Or what is the ethos behind what you do for in, in yourself? Like, it's or, just- sorry, Don't yeah. be so bloody eternal. Our tiny brains can take it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I
3: don't need you to protect me. I need to live in a world where I can protect myself and that like disability justice has been saying this for years like stop assuming you can do things for me and babysit me like just let me be myself and tell you what I need and and let's compromise because loads of stuff butts up against each other but if we know where the compromises have to be made Mm -hmm. totally find a clearer way forward
2: and I think in Scotland we are really lucky that there is an organization who is supposed to sort of join us all together and that's the Federation of Scottish Theatre, that's FST, they're supposed to bring us all together but freelancers have to pay to be part of that. Yeah. I don't have, now that I'm leaving my job, I won't yeah. have the disposable income to do that, to make those connections, to be in those rooms and to say those things. That's no, my biggest that problem with That quite a lot of other,
0: right. other oh. um, organisations that are, sorry, um, there are other theatre companies and stuff that can't do that so yeah. they're not included in FST.
1: Lots of individuals, lots of like, as Rosie's pointed out, loads of freelance individuals. Like every instance in my life where I've been able to be part of FST is either, as you've just mentioned, Rosie, being part of an organisation that was able to pay for me or I just happened to be a bit flush at the time and I was able to pay the membership fee because I thought I had to. But now I'm like, and no shade to FST or the people that run it. There's some amazing, like the majority of them are all brilliant. But I am like, why are why are you a membership organization why is it so expensive if be? you look at the board the people who
2: make up the board of that organ that of fst they are all people from organizations there are no freelancers on that board there oh, is one. one
0: emma yeah. says there's
2: one there's one um so annie george the brilliant annie george is george. George. the
3: only freelancer and carrying lots of things on her shoulders yeah
2: and that's absolutely that's absolutely bananas to me and you know uh, one of my best friends works at FST, he's great. Um, but two years ago, I stood in an FST meeting and listened to organizations talk about access. And they talked about access for socioeconomically deprived people. And they talked about access for disabled people. And they talked about access for um, deaf and blind people. And I stood up and I was like, never about us without us. This is absolutely bananas that I'm in a room that is actually fundamentally inaccessible because you have to go upstairs. There was no way of getting into that room. As a woman who uh I'm ADHD, I just got diagnosed with ADHD who's neurodiverse. This doesn't suit, this doesn't suit me. But the fact that there is an organization in Scotland that exists that can solve huge amounts of these problems if they would bring in people with that knowledge, people Project X, if they got Project X in, like if they were doing like mass anti-racism, like LGBTQI training, if they were doing that sort of transparency work and I stood in that room and I said this isn't good enough and I was told oh it's going to be better and two years down the line it hasn't changed like and I and it's a, it's exhausting that it is exhausting and we're having really we're having a really complex conversation about what it what it means to be working class like about post industrial fucking UK about <laughs> politics, about patriarchy, about all of this shit that impacts us working in this sector every single day. But this is a sectoral organization who's supposed to represent those voices. And I just don't know if they do.
1: No, I mean I'm just gonna be really candid. I don't know if this should go in the podcast podcast or not. Elaine will probably make a decision on it or tell me. <laughs> um I, you know, it's no secret that Persistent and Nasty had a presence on the Equalities and Diversity Working Group that FST put together before the end of, of last year. Um, and we wanted to be part of that for a very specific reason, which was to bring some of the work and research that we are doing behind the scenes on uh, power dynamics in rehearsal rooms, abuse and harassment and how that gets addressed. And if there's some somehow some way that we could create a structure for safety, not an organisational level that encompasses freelancers, both in-project and post-project, um so you know emma knows a bit about this so we wanted a presence on that because we believe it to on that group working group because we believe it to be an equality issue yeah we it, it is it that's is. It. and um you know and also on top of our our intersectional beliefs but that was the main reason that we wanted to be there but you know it was a it, it wasn't it was a complex process being part of that and it was a confusing process being part of that because it wasn't Exactly representative of the community. It was very perplexing the makeup of the group because it was like it was broadly white, it was broadly salaried, it was broadly, or you know, people from organisations. It was very, very confusing. And and again, you know, it was the, it, that issue was addressed in the process of attending those meetings. But and part of me is also just like so exhausted with having to go, having to point this out to to organizations or institutions that have the resource or have been around long enough to be long in the tooth enough to sort of acknowledge these things and have learned by now and not uh, we shouldn't have been in a position to have wasted time pointing that out and having to go through a process of like well maybe this this group could have been the makeup of this group could have been a bit more astute I don't know it's just like I I get tired (laughs) so (laughs)
3: exhausting but largely I would say exhausting because there's there's not enough honesty around, um, I, do, I just did a really weird hand gesture. I don't know if you saw <laughs> the the TikTok of the person oh, talking about it? intersectionality and stuff where they essentially said nothing for 30 seconds and they just sounded like they worked in the arts. I just, I didn't <laughs> my hand to mimic that. I will look it up and send it to you. It is one of those ones where you're just like, oh shit, yeah, I know that person.
0: Me again, this is a really long episode, so we just thought it would be good to have a wee pause. You can go get yourself another cuppa, glass of wine, whatever you fancy. I suggest putting on some music and just having a wee digest of everything that we have discussed. I'm going to listen to Porter's Head, Glory Box, because why would you not? Also, at the very end of today's episode, Louise mentions um. (laughs) <laughs> hair dye in our mum's house that was connected to a conversation that we'd had just at the start and about the things that we did when we were younger, um, you know when your mum had just got a new carpet and you managed to spill nail varnish on it or get red hair dye all over it or all of the above um, just for a little context of the last few lines of the podcast. Thank you everyone and when you're ready Come on back in for the next part.
3: Um,
0: and it's me sometimes. Um, there's
3: something where we're, we're not <laughs> about what all of these things are, and I think there's a thing about going because I'm a total FST fan girl in some ways, and I feel like I've built a relationship of honesty with them. I think are you moving slowly, which means you're not responding to the fact that the the early 2000s, late 90s art world was the new labor project that meant there was enough money cutting about. So actually every freelancer that wanted to do anything of scale became an organization because there was enough money to do that. So we say organization and it means a million different things. Like I know people who were part of the regularly funded organization portfolio and then really annoyed when they were no longer part of it. And people talk about being removed. There's loads of things around that. But I'm also just like, you've not been removed, you've been unsuccessful. And some people justifiably were reinstated after the last sushi because why weren't they? And there's loads of things in there. But the notion that suddenly because you've you've entered into a corporate governance structure, which let's be honest, that's where they were inherited from, suddenly you're more deserving than your freelance partners. So there's a question, but also the other question for me is like, what is FST's purpose? Does FST want to have a friendship with government, with government? which means they have to move more slowly, they can't be a lobbying body, they can't be overtly political. And just be honest about that. Do you want to be like a midway mediator, where you do a bit of lobbying, but generally you you keep in with government and you have that connection? Or are you a lobbying organisation? And if you're not supremely clear and honest about that, you literally cannot serve a purpose because people like us turn up and go, we want loads of change. And then it's like, what's this doing? It's moving really slowly. People who possibly are more established or in more stable positions are like, we want information from government. And I think there's something that's happened this week where, and again, it's really hard to talk about. Some organizations have been given some direct funding to continue their work from government, um, mostly in the Highlands, um, or mostly, no, mostly in Aberdeenshire and, and the Highlands, I think. Um, which is fine, but I'm also like, I would never have the guts to just, you know, I'll just write to government and be like, you should give me some money directly. <laughs> and I, and of course that system exists. I don't blame those organizations, but let's have a conversation about what enables you to do that.
2: Mm-hmm. And
3: and let's yeah. figure out where all of these things lie because FST can be great. But if I know they are not going to be a lobbying body, I can then make an informed choice about my presence in that space. And yes. I can take myself elsewhere I instead guess. of like a change something that has it like we're not talking about purpose enough,
2: in my opinion. Mm-hmm. I think that there's also a, a problem, a fundamental problem with FST is because the board members and the people who are, are steering it are made up of those major organizations who are rfos who are co-funded by the government is that often the views and the ideas and the way that it's steered doesn't actually necessarily represent those smaller more agile organizations or freelancers and i also think that it means that there's an unwillingness there to challenge and to lobby actively and i also think that there's a real unwillingness there to be a critical friend to the sector which is what we really need we need a library where people can access oh how to make this rehearsal room a safe space like what are the ways that I do that what are the ways that I make sure if a racist comment is made or if someone feels like they're being treated unfairly but they're a freelancer what happens then like and yeah I always considered FST to be that body until I started going to FST meetings a few years ago and I realized that they're primarily a training body and I feel like that's just, and it's a training body that is only really available to organizations who can afford to take part in it and really what I think they should be is a critical friend, especially now when we're talking about this, when we're talking about the arts changing, when we're talking about, you know, The people who are struggling the most potentially being left behind like how do we make sure that those big behemoths run by people who are very safe don't just take their friends with them and they take everyone else with them and actually I feel like it's FST's job to be giving that advice to be being like to be holding those mass those those difficult conversations rather than just placating people who are always platformed like I've been to I think two Emporium meetings and and two FST, like, Christmas gathering things. And I've seen the same people talk time and time again. And it's not that they're bad people. I'm not saying that their work isn't good or what they're doing isn't interesting. But fundamentally, as, like, a leader in the sector, I want something that's just opening dialogue, that's, like, creating, that's, that's giving me the possibility to... To support better change rather than listening to these people who are often in seats of power and heard time and time again I also wonder who is drawing the red lines I think
3: we have a fundamental issue in the fact that our key public funder has to remain apolitical Mm -hmm. then no one has the capacity to go we're calling your bullshit there's a warning And, and I don't want things to be that like supervised I would like it to to come from a different way but I do think having some actual red lines is the only way we're really going to steer change because there's just a bit too much of like getting away with it oh we didn't notice oh we didn't know and it's like we and if money is the only thing that talks because I love we talk about we want change Mm. and I'm a bit like who's the we though because yeah who is the we and and what do we mean by change and that isn't me saying we should all stop and be really stagnant and talk about semantics because no but there's like I think the we is quite a useful weapon
1: Mm -hmm. yeah because the truth (laughs) of the matter is that some people don't want change that's that is the uncomfortable truth
2: I would say the majority of the people who have comfortable CEO AD positions don't really want that change and what I saw and what I've heard from a lot of my friends who work in different organizations is that there's a lot of anti-racism training happening there's a lot of well-being training happening in organisations, and like, I mean, I work for an organisation, and the but actual meaningful change, taking positive action to make your board more representative, taking positive action to make sure that your staff aren't fucking exhausted working in a pandemic, mm. taking positive action to make sure that you're supporting the freelancers who you've worked with for years, is like it, it all yeah. feels, feels incredibly
1: tokenistic. And this is why it, co- it comes back to transparency again for me. Like, again, that red flag of who's willing to do it and who's not. Because, again, like, no shade on FST. I, I am similarly in a place where, I, like, I will support that. This is not, like, an anti-FST sentiment that I, oh, I hope, anyway, isn't coming across that way. Because I think a lot of what they do is brilliant. But you're exactly right, Emma. They need to ve- be very clear, like, plant their flag this is what we are and this is what we will do and this is what we won't do hey guys who within our membership and with our and our peripheral community is is capable or willing to do that how can we support you in a way that keeps us safe if we are in fact going to be pally with the government or apolitical like creative scotland and then we can start looking at ways that we can well will you support us then to get siphon off a little bit of money that you might get so that we can as an independent completely political Entity, whatever it may be, whether it's persistent nasty or a theatre company or whatever, so that we can do the shouting and the pointing out that you can't do, and you know, because so much of this comes down to me, down to transparency for me, because my my little three day a week job is it, it sits in the context of a local authority, and I remember asking my boss like because I thought your practice Emma of putting your applications on your website whether failed or successful was absolutely brilliant it's a small but a a small thing but a game-changing thing and I was like said to my manager could we do that do you think (laughs) and it freaked him out but in a a good way like he wasn't he was like but he was just like we technically we can't do that because our arts team sits within a local authority we can't really We we can't put stuff online like that that might cause a stoosh in the sense that not everyone's going to understand the context in which that sits so like they might think that you you know because the other the sort of cultural activity that sits within the context of local authority local authorities also paying for the bins getting picked up and the schools and libraries so it's like it might just create an unnecessary stoosh with people who don't understand necessarily right away what it's for so I thought like, well, that's, that's a very clear explanation to me. I get that. Okay, great. So we can't do that because it actually might cause more problems than it solves. So can we just tell people that? Like, so like, and I did, and that's fine. And it's just like, that was a really simple set of like a really simple process of going, this is what I want to do. Well, we can't do that. Here's why. That's really, that makes sense. Okay, fine. Let's move so on. Think of other ways. I want you to know? drop something. Sorry.
0: sorry. I'm so
1: sorry. Just, it reminds me of a,
3: um, I was in a meeting, well, some point in the past year where there was lots of like, but sell the buildings. And this person who works for an organisation based in a building, I can't even remember where, was just like, actually, we can. Our whole constitution is built around populating and saving this listed building. Yeah. And we just choose to do that through arts. And I was just like, that's bloody brilliant. But we don't have the conversations that allow people to know that in the same way that some people were like, isn't it strange that these these monoliths are the ones struggling financially to pay everyone and you're like oh cool so no one understands how box office box office income works like what have we been doing yeah 30 years where people don't realize that box office income and I'm saying that like equal surprise in myself which all ties back into I think there's a a thing and I'm not blaming individuals because I understand the complexity of being a freelancer but how we activize that's a weird word how we make active the like the freelance workforce so that they have the knowledge but also feel empowered to act with that knowledge Mm -hmm. because I often think that the drive to return to that kind of normal can also come from within the workforce who haven't witnessed that other things are possible. Like I always, it makes me think of intimacy coordination. People think that you're a bit of like a, a delicate flower coming in to do delicate flower stuff. And then if they go through the process with you, they're just like, oh, that's great. We could do with that. Loads of places. It's really practical, actually. Like it's, it's really handy. And you're just like, yeah. And there's loads of stuff like that. So I'm going to stop talking because I'm
1: aware that I'm just like,
3: blah, blah, blah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Never stop. I feel like Rosie or Elaine or both had something to say. I think there was like, it was like a moment there. It was like, go.
0: Well, mine is just like, it's, it's on this whole thing of, you know, FSTB, what it could be, what the possibilities of it are and also in the work that they already do and all of that. But it's also about quote-unquote the gatekeepers and all of that there is something systemic in our society that when you get to these points there's the fear of not making space at the table and I think Mm. that's something that we're that we could be missing out on because it's where that for me I think that's the biggest issue actually I think it's people's fear of losing their space so how and obviously you know you've got five minutes to figure this out people um (laughs) (laughs) how do we fix that and we probably can't right now but there's definitely ways that we can work about it
2: I mean I I think Emma talked about it last time but I think one of the things that I really believe in is that actually those top those top spaces that get the most space that get the most platforming shouldn't be taken up for very long
0: yes 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 like four or five years max and then you're out right
2: and the thing that annoyed me a bit about Edinburgh International Festival I know I keep going back to them but Content, fine. Um is that, you know, they have this term, you do a five-year term, but then you can be re-elected for another five year terms. So I mean someone can be in this hundred and twenty thousand pounds a year paid job for ten years. That's over a that's a million pounds, is it? I don't know. I can't do maths. I have ADHD. Yeah.
1: It's a lot of money.
2: It's a lot of money. <laughs> that's a million pounds someone. It's over a million pounds that someone can earn from that job. Yeah. And that's two that's that's Actually, you know what? I don't want to devalue the arts, but that's an insane amount of money compared to someone at the bottom for the past 10 years that I've been working in the sector that I've earned. You know, I think mm, 12 months, uh, uh, 15,000 pounds. And uh,
0: that's like a brilliant year for me.
2: 15,000. Right. I'm like, yes. Right. I'm going
0: to buy and Spencer's for my shopping um and like there are other supermarkets available there are other supermarkets available
2: (laughs) and I just think that we need to like really you know we talk we do we talk a fucking huge game in the arts we talk a big game the amount of like conversations that happen the amount of people being like oh we want to talk about what the arts is like oh we're gonna do a a a thing about what we think Edinburgh will be like in 10 years whatever actually the amount of change that happens and so right it's slow and really, I think those top positions need to be brief. And those bottom positions need to be briefer and better paid. Because
1: and they need I, to be, sorry, they need to be brutal. They, yeah. they need to be brief and brutal. Right. Because I firmly, as someone who's played a sort of middle management role in an organisation at the fringe office for four years, I worked my fucking arse off in that job, like, like really ridiculous for a kind of all right salary. So I saw a glimpse into the world of what ex- chief execs and people at high up do on a day-to-day basis. And some of it is brutal. You are the figurehead. You're the person who gets name and, named and shamed in the press. But if you're good at what you do and you have the conviction and you have the integrity that the job should should require you to have, your tenure should be brief and brutal. You should be on the ground. You're being paid enough to take pelters from your community to be in about, in about it, be at the fucking front line of totally. the organisation that you represent, have the difficult conversations, and then take them to the politicians that you have access to. I really believe that. Like, and it's a controversial opinion because a lot of those people in those jobs are going to stay there forever. they Are going to stay there forever, and they've taken a, and they've maybe taken, in their opinion, a route to get there, and they're now quite comfy. Yeah, and it's and there I- like.
2: And I, I do firmly believe earned this. they shouldn't be there for more than four or five years. I mean, you know, we talked about how slow things take, like to make any positive change. It may take four or five years, but to leave on a legacy, I think feels important. And I'm going to probably say something, well, it's not that controversial, but I don't have that much time for the fringe at the moment because last year Shona came out and said she doesn't agree with the with the fair pay fringe. She said, um, uh, without people volunteering their time, the fringe couldn't work. Like we need to be able to pay people no money to come up and not pay them. And I was like, I looked at your salary, bitch. It's 115,000 pounds a year. Fuck you, supplement it. Give that 50 grand to the people who are working for free for you
1: to make money. That's absolutely bananas to me. Listen, I, I completely agree with you, but I keep... Like, so it's interesting. I have a very particular perspective on the Fringe Society because I went into that job, the job that I did there, um, off the back of the 2008 box office crash and the French Society was hanging on a thread. So they just completely uh, flushed out the way things were done before and, and put in place a whole new team. Yeah. And I was part of the the team that came into place to make it... all Like to revamp it and reinvigorate it to be completely artist-centric and to refocus the French society as a service for artists who are paying to be there and therefore they are paying for us to support them and make it as as useful and experience as humanly possible. So I have a very starry-eyed view of my time at the French office because I was part of a, of a team of people who, who created policies that were entirely artist-centric. All the jollies that French staff that used to go on all over the world were scrapped, like they still existed but like it was like take it take it in turns when we when we went to london it's like if you got a friend you could stay with or somebody you could stay with because we need to we need to get money back from the budget to put it back into the services for artists and at that particular point the chief executive was a woman called Kath mainland who is like everything i've ever wanted to be when i grow up and she was a chief executive on a good salary but she was always there she was there meeting artists she was there she was there in the trenches when she needed to be and i learned so much from her and, um, and then I left right at the right moment. I left on a high. I was like, I'm going to go way, way be a freelance actor again. See you later, guys. Yeah. <laughs> like, and I, so, I, but I think it's changed since then and, and and in ways that I'm really, I don't know, gutted to hear about because it's I like, mean, I think that's that not what it's meant to be.
2: I think any organisation that is... The French have had over £3 million now in bailout and £1 million of that is a payback loan. But as an organization, like, it's it's a business business focus. Like, they can figure out how that works. But um, the Trussell Trust, who provide two-thirds of all food banks across the UK, give less than that to their food banks. And I feel like there's a sort of... There's a lack of connection between what's actually going on globally. Like it's not even locally, it's globally. Like there's a global pandemic and everyone is massively fucked. But the people who are the most fucked are the most vulnerable and the most marginalized. And it's women, it's children, it's people living in poverty, it's BIPOC people, it's disabled people, it's old people. And when the organization provides food the swathes of these people is giving out less than an organisation who are effectively working as primarily a box office for artists Yeah, I don't know if I can legitimise staying in that sector like I don't know if I can can put that together in my brain and make it feel okay because I don't know if I can feel okay about it and I no. don't know if I can feel okay about a person at the top of that organisation taking away over 100 grand a year and putting it in her pocket off of the back of that money coming from the government when really I think it should go somewhere else. I see that this is the issue
3: for me though like when Elaine first posed the question the issue for me is the lack of connected thinking which Mm. is totally what Rosie was saying like my first step to what you were saying Elaine is UBI. I think we should live in a society where if you were not working you live a real life and then people don't need to think Jobs for life at one point was an aspiration when we lived in a very different society, it totally not, was anywhere, anywhere like there's no such thing. So,
1: everyone you get a job sorry, for life for the job, council
0: still, you got a job with the council, you got the job with British Steel, you got a job with Rolls Royce, you got a job in some form of industry that was a job for
1: life. So I mean, I'm working with that some that. people on my team have been working for the council for like that. Always blows my mind, it's like. In the the wild
3: let's like circle that square and just go cool people need to be able to live and then they won't be clinging on so much two there is no mathematical connection between the chief exec who's earning 100k plus a year and the freelance worker and we need to be working either on like social justice pay or or comparable pay scales where you can be earning 250 or what was it with the royal opera house 800k a year or something oh god If you are every single freelancer that comes through your door should be earning the day rate equivalent of uh, like a fifth of your salary or whatever that is and then suddenly people won't just be thinking well in the corporate sector I would be paid this and that's a lovely lot of money it's about going we we work in an under-resourced thing redistribution has to be part of the politic and then we'll do that and the last one for me the thing that never the ends that never meet is that we have governance structures and if you want to stay with a corporate governance structure fair enough that's going to take a lot of change but they're built in the image of chief chief execs and artistic directors or built in the image of people who traditionally sit on on boards and I like there's loads of people who I think are fucking brilliant but I, I go so you run this organization and then you sit on three other boards of arts organizations in Scotland cool that's closed and I'm just like how do we get it pull that circle background so the people on the board are recruited just as rigorously as the mm-hmm. AD is recruited mm-hmm. and actually illustrate the communities that these organizations are meant to serve, because then we'll see change.
2: There's a yeah, there's a huge talk about the democratization of the arts. Like, let's democratize the arts. And actually, what they're talking about is these organizations going out to communities who don't typically engage with the arts. And that's not what the democratization of the arts is. It's also there's a huge when we talk about communities and working communities i did a piece of research which will never get published i didn't get any permission from any. <laughs> i feel bad all of these organizations i worked with uh 15 arts organizations and i went through all of their policies <laughs> and i said oh i'm gonna um i'm just gonna i'm doing like a, a critical discourse analysis of your policies to see what you mean by communities to see what you mean by participants to see what you mean about audiences Actually, quite often when we talk about communities.
1: People mean poor people. Let's just talk yeah. about poor people. This really bugs me because and I use the word community is, all the time because, like, we all exist it. in communities, and it's like, yeah, don't use that word as interchangeable with yes, because that's what you fucking mean. Sorry, excuse me. There's, there's communities of women. There's communities of black people. There's communities
2: yeah. of. I live in Portobello, it's a community. There's communities of people who love to sing sea shanties. There's communities of people who like wine. (laughs) Community is a multiplicity of things. It's just a group of people who have a similar thing, but we use it to mean something that like people who don't engage with the arts, we'd have community outreach. Absolutely bollocks the community outreach. And how did I get to this point? (laughs) (laughs) No. <laughs> <laughs> I've had to be oh. I'm going to Dem- go Dem- really nervous. Uh, democratisation of the arts Right so the When we talk about democratisation yeah. of the arts Quite often it means people are going to do community outreach We're going to go to North Edinburgh We're going to go to Muirhouse. House We're going to go to West Hales, So we're going to do some art workshops with people Actually, democratisation of the arts needs to start at the fucking top Like, we need to get rid of these structures I think board structures in the arts quite often is completely pointless like we need steering groups we need insights we need people who we work with telling us what we should be doing not some fucking guy who hasn't gone to see any of our work for two years like we like we need to really radically rethink how organizations are steered and so when we talk about democratization of the arts. I think quite often people are like, "Oh, it's outreach. Oh, it's creative learning." Actually, what it should be is who's on your board and why are they on your board. And one of the other bugbears that I have is that when people talk about communities, they talk about it like there aren't artists there, like there aren't, you know people who work yes. in arts. Thank you. Yes. It's like, oh, it's a, it's, oh, oh, it's wild. it's wild out there. It's the rugged hills. People, you know. Yeah. Fucking setting fireworks off in bins and that's all there is in the fucking community. Fuck
1: off, mate. Yeah. There's fuck off. Of off don't use the word outreach. I don't like the word outreach. It's like, me don't either. talk, talk to these people like you're, like, coming in with, 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 I don't know, a bunch of foreign aid or something like that. Like, like, right? it's just like you know if you're talking about and what we're talking about here is like arts institutions and big organizations they'll download the, the, the spreadsheet they'll tell them where all the uh, areas in Scotland are that perform high on the social deprivation index and they'll go great that's near us we'll write a funding application we'll send in an artist to do something and brilliant and that's that's us checked our box for that year and for me it's like well no this is this is just our silver tit for me and also when you're talking about areas of that perform high on the social deprivation index if you're going to go in and do some art like f- figure out they, they well just like go and talk to people for a start like there are like you say Rosa, there are already people doing stuff there because yeah. to suggest that they're like i don't know I don't know what people think that like that, that, that these areas of, of of the of the UK just aren't haven't evolved yet, and you're going to wander in with your art, and they're going to be like, I don't know, it's going to be like start the start of fucking Kubrick's 2001. Like, <laughs> do you know what I mean? It's just it's ludicrous. It's absolutely ludicrous. Yeah. And the majority of the time, there are people there doing things. There are groups making fantastic art, doing brilliant things. They don't really need you. They'll take the fucking check because quite right. rightly so. But like, they don't need you to come in and tell them what they should be doing or what uh, oh sorry totally. I, I, this just this you know, just gets my blood totally. boiling
2: <laughs> And in Ed, I mean in Edinburgh you've got amazing organ, art specific organizations alone like you've got North Edinburgh Arts you've got Whale, you've got uh, Craig Miller like you've got these amazing organizations in areas of socio-economic deprivation doing incredible art and the fucking international festival fucking national gallery some sort of core funded government organization what was in there like, we're gonna do an art project for these people. They don't know what art is. And it's like, actually, like that's absolute nonsense. And also our concept of like what cultural democratization is. Like, sure, I might be taking, like, I love lino printing, I love screen printing, I might take screen printing out and do a screen printing workshop in North of Arts. I've done it before, I might do it again, who knows? But fuck it culture that exists there is also culture stuff is happening there that i don't access that i'm not interested in spartans football club in north edinburgh is um one of the most visited organizations the whole of north edinburgh and it's football right i don't give a shit about football my grandpa loved bolton i sort of like bolton but i'm not that interested i'm not going to play it i'm not going to see it but as an organization, they pump all of the money that they make from putting matches on and they have an alternative school. So kids who are kicked out of school, they teach, they have um, street football. So they go around and they kick a football about with kids on the street and they're doing all of this shit because that's the culture that people are interested there. In. That's their yeah. culture. That's, that's the thing that gets, that's their excuse. That's their juice, right?
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's um, probably the most valid culture because it's also it's also plugging the gaps in society exactly. that need plugged. Exactly. And it's like... It's controversial, but I would also say it's
3: maybe more of a culture than what we refer to as culture. Like yeah. a bunch of people who work in theatre who turn up to watch the theatre. And I get, like I think of contemporary performance. I kind of love that it goes, it is for this group of people that do this thing and support each other to do this thing and it's quite close-knit and I'm just like great I'm glad I I don't think we should ever be aspiring to go but this should reach the masses whereas what I love about football is I'm like there are way more shit football teams than they are like elite football teams I'm from Gretna I'll put my hand up there I had a short (laughs) one with football um but I like I think we had about it my pal he's eighty. <laughs> and my 88 year old pal harry has supported carlisle united his whole life and he goes because the culture around
2: carlisle
3: who arguably they've had their moments but are a shit football team i mean they're shit, <laughs>
2: right i can say this
3: i'm from carlisle they're proper garbage yeah. <laughs> he goes to watch them lose religiously pre-covid <laughs> because it is actually a culture and a community yeah. and from the way everything happens it is it has evolved to be crafted in such a brilliant way, and I, I wonder what we've, why we, who is we? I think there's something in the inherited snobbery of the image of the arts that has stopped us being able to do that. Um, and I say that like having moved back to Dumfries and Galloway and starting to do things here, there's a lot of like that was a clever funding decision. And you know when you're like, fuck off, that it like. I'm not playing geographical give me some money that if you think that's who I am I, I'll stop working because that would sadden me like the work I'm doing on Freeson and Galloway genuinely there is a selfish element I want to live here I want to be around my nephews I want to hang out with my dad and I'd love to be able to be around some other people that work in dance and movement too like that's it yeah. um but there's nothing lesser and it's not like I think we get into those bringing it back to class those things of people being like oh you're getting the money because you're doing the things with the poor people and it's just like
0: fuck off yeah. that's like yeah. you've so you you on the, on the, the head though Emma with the snobbery of the arts yeah it's the it's the total thing in it but it's also like where does that fucking snobbery come from
2: I mean, it's it's from its it's founded the arts. This is an interesting fact. Interesting fact. The <laughs> arts used to refer to anything. Anything could be an art. The art of soup making. The art of creating a spoon. The art of talking to your gran over a cup of tea. Like the arts was anything. And then in the Renaissance, they created high art. They created painting, theater, dance. And music and those arts were considered better than any other arts and they ordered them as well I so, once
1: had a really uh, intense conversation with a pal's horrid ex-girlfriend who was trying to tell me that the only art that can ever exist is painting is it's like being like <laughs> you know yeah and I was like I'm sorry what and she's like anything else is not art it's just that so the renaissance is a lot to answer for including me nearly punching her when I was high <laughs> as a kid so there we go is like going to be not. defense in court, Louise? Like, can't blame me, it was the
2: Renaissance. It was the
1: Renaissance. I, You know, the amount of times I've used that as an excuse, it works like a charm.
2: It's bullshit, but we are still obsessed with the hierarchy of it, of what is good, of what is bad, of what has good taste. There's a thing called good eye in visual art, So my undergraduate degree is in art history and like connoisseurship, learning to know what's good art and what's bad art, you get a good eye. And you can see what is good and what is bad because you have an understanding of the history that went before it and when it was made and who made it and why they made it. And it's bullshit. It's all bullshit. But the art is founded on this idea of quality of something that is good and something that is not good. And when it comes to talking about community, but when you talk about people making art who haven't spent four years at art school, who haven't been to drama school, who didn't go to the RCS, who haven't done all of that shit, people will say it's community art, and it's therefore not high art because it's not as good. It's not, it doesn't have the quality. And I think it's a nonsense concept. Like, I believe everyone can be an artist. I believe everyone could be a dancer. I believe everyone could be a mover. Everyone could be a maker. But within the sector, we have a real problem with what art is and what makes good art.
0: And bringing us back to our fucking list of yes. what was good
2: and what, wasn't. and what wasn't. Right? Well, back to class.
3: Like, it makes me think loads about studying art. And I look unpacked all my books my mom and dad's very chuffed had to organize them onto my shelves I actually wrote a blog about it because I have a shelf that is full of books that I bought because it was stuff I thought I should know because I was training in dance loads of Glenn Tetley loads of ballet I'm not saying it isn't like it's good to have known bits of it And then all of the other shelves are things that as I've come back into myself and my own actual interest, the shelves are full of those things. And like, it was a horrible horrible realisation to go, God, I was trying to make up for 20 years of not having been around that stuff because I felt like I needed to make up for it in order to be allowed to navigate this whole situation when in actual fact, trying to make myself into that thing stunted my ability to make art for bloody age i'm not saying having an awareness isn't bad but like why are we trying to lineate what is good and bad like how boring how boring
2: and it's all incredibly patriarchal hierarchical it's colonial it's fucking western art it's an understanding of what good dances Ballet, it's understanding what good art is, it looks like the shit's supposed to look like. It's understanding what good music is, or it's got full, full rhythm and it makes sense. Like it's all in this colonial, patriarchal understanding of what is good. And actually, the arts constantly markets itself as a place where anyone can make anything and they can be accepted and they can be seen. But the reality of that. Actually doesn't exist. Organizations aren't willing to say, make some shit, we'll put it on. The arts will say, I'm going to commission some shit from this white guy, Ian Rankin, and make something and then
1: put it on. Right? Like I mean, musical theater does that brilliantly. Make some shit, we'll put it on. Like that's why I love musical theater. (laughs) <laughs> I was once in a conversation with a programmer and this
3: woman called Peggy Oleschlagers who start oh my god she is like when I grow up and I will it'll be in my vampire life because it will take centuries to become as amazing as this woman she's amazing Um a programmer went yeah but quality I just and she was like how do you know what quality is and just went yeah it's just, it's just a thing I know I just know if it's quality and there was an intake of breath from many people in the room And he tried to speak on and she just went, stop. We're going to go back to that. And like sat down, cleared a little seat beside him and then invested 45 minutes going, let's unpick the fact that you don't even have qualms about that statement, that you literally cannot um, discuss what you mean by that in any form and it like oh my god I just love her I also just want to mention her because she's another woman where I'm like this woman
0: deserves I'm like can yeah. you get her I want
3: her on the podcast now <laughs> oh my god you would love it she's so direct it's amazing and she always goes it's because I'm Dutch I'm quite direct and you know when you're like that's a smoke screen, Peggy you're clever you're a clever cookie Peggy's like I'm saying it but actually pegs you're just direct babes she, she makes her directness totally comfortable for everyone there and plays that role and you're just like that great
1: great Love it.
2: this
1: is this is epic how many parts is this going out in <laughs> <laughs> i mean we've asked some really big questions big questions big topics yeah. huge topics huge topics
0: But we don't have to have any answers, though. No. We can have plenty of
1: opinions. Yeah. I (laughs) think we can
0: get to the right
3: questions. That's the bit I'm always like, maybe the action isn't about trying to find an answer, but if we can ask really articulate questions, everyone can then answer them in their own context. Like, I'm just not a fan of, I'm sick of the question, but what do freelancers want? And you know, when you're just like, can I have, do you want to give me like a rough lowdown on who this is? You've began? already
0: said it. They want a universal basic income. Yeah.
2: I and honestly don't understand why all of the organisations, all of the arts organisations haven't just come together and said, we demand a universal basic income. Like, I haven't seen that on anyone's Twitter feed. I haven't seen that on, there is a, there's working class, um, and they, I think they've demanded it.
0: Yeah. yeah,
2: which is incredible, but no one else has. I don't see anyone who's I... so UBI my... art
3: lab are qu- are doing interesting stuff. Um, so it's the UBI labs. There is an arts chapter, I think it's based in the northeast of England, but I also could have made that up. Um, <laughs> they're also really great because quite a few of them are academics and stuff, so they seem to like be doing data and all that. But again. Uh, how much clout do they have when they've called themselves that so I think it's really easy for conservative ears to be like probably not going to listen
2: to you because yeah. yeah we need some Shakespeare companies we need a royal license yeah. we need the fucking National Theatre of Scotland's and the National Theatre stand up and say actually for everyone to be okay for our audiences to be okay okay so we, this is like- the thing that this is this gets me.
0: I've sp- I've spoken about this before on something v- nowhere near as important as this on the casting issue, with, especially within Scotland and like the lack of diversity in our casting and who we see on our stages, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, and indeed on our screens. Um, but we are your audience as well. So what you pointed out, Emma, about you know who are the amount of people that actually go to see the thing that they do for a job, <laughs> it's like you know that it's that thing. Um, but also, I wonder. And I could be totally wrong, and this could be my um, cynicism and my um, total doubt of the patriarchal system and the fact that it likes to keep us in control. But I wonder if they haven't called it out because actually it doesn't do them any favours to have us all making money to be able to survive because then we won't do the jobs that are much smaller for less money. So... Yeah, And I hate to say that, but but there's that part of me that goes well.
2: And I think that goes back to what Emma was saying about connected thinking, connected talking. Like, if this is on the agenda, people need to be shouting about it. Yeah, say that we need a universal basic income because it's not going to just save me, a freelancer, or or Emma, a freelancer. It's going to save the audiences that you claim your work is going to go and tour to or you're going to fucking provide free seats to or whatever. And I think that you, I, do, I don't think it serves people. I think, and I think that there's a real lack of, the only, I got told to um, uh, calm down digitally um, a few weeks ago, because on uh, our little Scottish admin monkeys page, I posted about um, a call out that was for 200 pounds. You've got 200 pounds to make this piece of work for an organization, Summerhall. And... Um, that was in response to like, tell us what Summerhall means to you in this piece of work It can be digital. It can be a painting, it can be whatever. And it's 200 pounds, you get 200 quid. And I was like, I'm sorry, Scottish artists union rates is 180 quid if you've got three years plus experience. For me to, so you had to write, tell them about your experience. You had to tell them about the work and then you had to create the work. And I was like, and that's materials included. You can get three hours of work out of me for that and you won't get a very good piece of art. And they were also said, oh yeah, it'll be, it's gonna be in an exhibition after COVID and people go and see it. And I was like, that's not enough money. It's not enough money. And someone from Summerhall said, yeah, I think we've been pretty clear that like, you don't have to be an artist and it can be a piece of work you did before. And I was like, actually, this isn't clear. You've told me to do a response to your building. You've said in response to Summer Hall's 10 year anniversary, create a piece of artwork that is in response to this. So no, I disagree. 200 pounds isn't enough. You need to raise that. You need to double that at least. And I was told to calm down and not be so angry and to not be unkind. And I was like, actually, I'm not being unkind. (laughs) I'm an artist. This person is being paid a wage and they are devaluing my practice and every single person who's going to apply for that. Is gonna be devalued. I don't understand how that
0: is unkind. Did you at any point call him a prick, a cunt, or a dick? No,
2: I was very, I was very kind with my language. Exactly. Right? This is exactly what we're talking a
1: question. about. People Foxy. get defensive, gatekeepers get defensive. Yeah. And so suddenly this is like gaslighting. It's like being in an abusive relationship. You are being told for having an opinion reasonably reasonably presented exactly you need to calm down like that triggers me that is like being in an abusive relationship it's like no no emotional (laughs) and and to do it in a public forum like the admin monkeys uh facebook page it's like you are immediately put on the back foot yeah because some a gatekeeper told you to calm down so therefore in front of everyone so therefore you're like also it's back to benevolence the reason that someone is butthurt about
3: that is i've just started using that phrase and i love it i don't
1: even i love it it's great
3: but hurt's good (laughs) and the reason someone's so butthurt is because it's like we've done a nice thing how dare you not love our nice i was being nice and it makes me living with some a family of lapsed catholics and and watching that play (laughs) out where i'm just like you can't play the martyr if you volunteer to do it and no one asked you to, and then you didn't get the response, yeah. like you can't. And then the other part of it that really pisses me off is I'm just like, this is where, I'd love some genuinely working class people. I'm like, who is the Jack Monroe of the arts? Um, and <laughs> get in and run the budgets. Cause the deal is, if you have 15 quid to spend on your weekly shop, you sit with that and you go, what are the staples? What do we need? and then we grow it out from there whereas in the arts we don't we'll go we'll pay this we'll do that we'll keep the lights on we'll do whatever yeah. what what costs left what, like the yeah. chocolate bar at the till is the artists
1: and the freelancers and I'm just yeah. like that's you kind of can't do that because the chocolate bar at the till there's a fucking t-shirt or a button for <laughs> you right there because I was about to say like not to sound ungrateful but 200 pounds is fucking pish I'm sorry like part of me is like 200 pounds like unless you want me to scribble it on the back of a fag packet I'm going like 200 quid. Do my
2: artist statement. Yeah. Like, you'll get like, and we talk about valuing the arts a lot. And there's a lot of talk about capping salaries or whatever. I'm like, actually, fuck that. Up everyone's salaries. I don't want, I don't want living wage because living wage is still shit. I want to be (laughs) earning more than that. I want to thrive. I don't want to just survive. And these things like, oh, you can get 200 quid for this bit of work or you get 200 quid for that bit of work. Like, absolutely need bollocks to that. I
1: 200 quid? Sorry, I'm so sorry, Rosie. I'm still, like, reeling from this. Like, what do you think you're going to get for 200 quids? I know, like it's bananas. Who, in terms of time, resource, material, yeah. what is it you think you're going to get for but 200 isn't this quids? My
0: point exactly about if we were on a universal basic income, right, So they would not get that piece of art for £200 because people would be like, I don't need to do it. Whereas right now, in the middle of a fucking global pandemic, when there's not enough work at all, you're using the fact that people feel vulnerable. They don't have any money coming into their house and you're offering them some sort of fucking platform because it's fucking summer hall. but you're only going to give them fucking £200 for it. (laughs) Fuck off. Actually, fuck off. As is the case, the people that can apply are the people
3: that don't need the money anyway and have heads See The money. They don't need the platform. Money.
2: And the irony of the fact that Summerhall is owned by a literal billionaire. Millionaire. Not billionaire yet. Yeah.
1: He's a very wealthy man. Is and that that's the that? thing, like, 200 quid is the time it takes to write the application if there's more than one question. Right. That's the, that's the value of the time and then what if you're presenting something that you like you I, mean, I don't ah sorry I'm just like I was already working out like how you distribute the 200 quid. it's wild it's, and wi- it's wild and
2: some a sort of very open ask for money from people you know I don't know how their owner's money situates. maybe it's assets whatever but you can look at their accounts online and see that they have four million pounds of artwork that's very have.
1: confusing. So it was a very confusing uh again, Elaine, you're gonna to need to cut this out. But it was always very confusing at the fringe office for us when Summerhall were not paying their artists, their box office payout money. I know Guys fucking pay them because you've got no like we know that you are owned and run so by millionaires. Anybody pay them. that's been to
0: the fringe ever fucking knows this information. So I mean this is like okay. It's like,
1: also part of the reason why the last it's time- also like a long time ago. I like that's seven you years ago. So I am unlikely to get into trouble, but like
2: they still don't pay that artist and I worked yeah, three years like, ago on box office for them and I didn't get paid for a month afterwards and I was on living wage.
1: It's outrageous. It's fucking outrageous. I My to- partner was head of sound for them in, oh, I can't remember now, like twenty thirteen or something like that. So, yeah, and he knows firsthand how long it took them to pay him and and his entire team, and it's just like. Yeah, Yeah. fuck it, Lee. Yeah, you can keep it in. Because actually, who's gonna give me in trouble? I'm an adult. You can't give me into trouble. I'm an adult. Like, this is just fact. Like, pay, pay people, you can do it. You have it, you have the fucking adult. Like
3: also, that's another really simple ask. Like, pay Pay people people. within 14 days, and everyone's like, oh, you know. (laughs) (laughs) It's a bit more complicated. And I'm just like, if your system is that complicated, then you maybe need to overhaul your system. I'm just saying, there's there's a lot to be said there. If it takes more, like okay, thirty days is like whatever is legal. Just that I was so we're aspiring to the bare minimum, like get money in people's pockets. It's that simple. And I'm sorry, but loads of freelancers that employ other freelancers can do it.
2: Mm.
3: So maybe organizations with a lot of cash flow that know it's coming in
1: this is the thing when it's organizations who are liquid so institutions local authorities drama schools rich cunts excuse me these people are (laughs) liquid we can fucking say whatever the fuck we want you are fucking liquid so you can pay the teeny tiny fucking pathetic 200 quid or whatever it is that you 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 need to pay that freelancer who came in and did a workshop for you three months ago you okay. can fucking do it pay yeah. it up front work it out because you have liquidity which yeah. is what freelancers do not have oh god i mean it's ha- myself it's heartburn hard. I,
2: think that, I mean that's something that i see as a problem with a very specific problem in edinburgh is that the major arts the most respected arts organization the place where i go to see the interesting music theater dance whatever actually regularly doesn't pay people properly, regularly undervalues staff. Before lockdown, they fired a lot of their front of house staff and their cafe staff. And that they're not recognized, like people hold them to a very high standard and and speak about them very highly, but they are a private business run by a man who put in a 25 million pound bid for the old hospital in Edinburgh. This man has money, it is a private business and it can't be held to account in the same way that organizations who are relying on set state subsidy can. Mm-hmm. Like there is a man with money who owns you and you should be turning to him and telling him to pay the fuck up rather than asking all of that. I felt, I feel terrible because I go there regularly and my friends work there, you know? I see our work there by people that I love, but when they ask for money, I'm the person who's going to cough up, and I earn £15,000 a year. The guy at the top, yeah, no, like, a millionaire, should be giving you the fucking money. I love,
1: the, I love Summerhall, and I have friends who work there. I have friends who are in charge there. In fact, I'm actually wondering who you ended up in a debate with on admin monkeys, because I dare say I know them. And part of me is like, yep, yeah, you know what? You are I value... What you have contributed, what you are. I have been to many shows. I've had many great experiences. However, I will not give you money out of my pocket for your crowdfunder. And I will call out your owner because there is an element of the thing that we never talk about, which is rich people want to stay rich. So they're not going to pony up the dough. Okay. Um, because they're rich for a reason and this is why this is one right. of the reasons why it's um, far easier to to call out a, a machine or an institution to say pay me because you should pay me because it's a it's a conglomerate it's a big amorphous thing whereas rich cunts rich people it's just like no no this is how I, this is how i am rich by making sure I, I delay paying you yes. <laughs> yes
2: i wear red trousers which is always an indicator of someone with too much money <laughs> you got your red trousers on you got too much cash in your pants but like they will like it, it absolutely blows my mind and it's an organization that you know i've i've worked in organizations that are based in that building and i go to shows there regularly but it's a really big it's a really big problem because the system and checks that are in place for regularly funded organizations which aren't enough, in my opinion. <laughs> I'm going to be brutal. Like, all the shit that happened with Edge of International Festival programming, 90% white guys shouldn't have happened. Creative Scotland should have caught that at some point. But the shit that, you know, I work at a regularly funded organization, and we're like, we need to be as equitable, as open, as transparent. We need to make sure that we're employing as many people as possible. We're going to pay them above equity rates, blah, 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 blah does not happen in the main arts organisation that feeds a lot of Edinburgh and it means that artists are regularly underpaid and undervalued and treated like shit. And I wonder how as artists we
3: own our hypocrisy in that and not like a oh yeah so I use Amazon but you know I like things (laughs) quick like like I, I don't get that because I'm just like well stop liking things quick I do, you, you don't you genuinely don't need to be using Amazon sorry folks you just don't um but there are things where you're like so how do I there's the binary image of I just don't support it because I know they do a wrong thing and then the other side of like if I don't support it I don't get to connect with that thing and like how do we how do we all become more vocal in our own hypocrisy so that we can track how it changes over time. And that's what I think is missing systemically in loads of things. It's really white in here, 10 years later, it's really white in here. And you're like, cool, so there needs to be some kind of tracking going on. And also the fact that, again, for me, it's all about all of that complexity being able to coexist. I should be able to go, I think what you're doing is bullshit. I'm also going to go there and watch this piece of work. And then we can get into a conversation about why I'm choosing to do that because it is the only place that programs that kind of work. Yeah. I want to support that artist, blah, 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 blah. Yeah. And actually it makes me think of a family. The people that call me on my bullshit the most and the people who make me feel most uncomfortable are the people that love
2: me the most. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, totally. You're so right, You're so right Emma. Like yeah. it's that. Um. It's, it's really a beautiful way of putting it yeah it really beautiful. is beautiful like it's such a complicated relationship and I
1: so and I, I wonder if presenting it to the organizations that we frequent and go to like Summerhall that? presenting it to them is that like the reason we're calling you out quite candidly and in a way that's making you uncomfortable about your crap is because we love you yeah, like because we want to see you continue because you are the place where you we go to see the, the edgiest and most interesting work, and yeah, we can have a beer in the beer garden afterwards and yeah. and have those that those brilliant creative experiences that we all have stories of from the fringe. So it's like yeah, we want to see you thrive, but do it right. So
0: I think There's just something really lovely kind in of that round up because we're nearly at the two-hour mark, which is <laughs> hilarious. Um, <laughs> I know. Um, I just want to double check all the companies that I'm tagging when this goes out. So Lyceum <laughs> <Blessium>, FST
3: <laughs> summer. <laughs> but also, I will say quite candidly, anyone who's been in those conversations, if you hear the podcast and you feel a bit, I'm gonna say butthurt again, because I love it. Like, or if is it like they, for me personally, this is an open onvita- invita- onvitation? invitation invitation, invitation, invitation. Please cut that out. Um <laughs> to to get on the phone and have that chat because yes. I'm not doing this in an adversary way I'm doing it as a genuine like let's talk about the shit and and there's 90% of it I can't talk to because it's not my lived experience mm. but I can probably refer you to people and maybe think about paying them
1: yeah so it's like paying them and being committed
3: to doing that's why
1: shit. it's so brilliant to have Elaine round up on your family analogy think of you as family that's why we're calling you out on your bullshit yeah yeah love you so let's have a conversation so so that we can stay together yeah we need to have a cup of tea we need to have a biscuit and we need to have a fucking chat (laughs) because you're throwing hair dye all over my carpet and uh, we need to have a conversation so i don't think you're recording that so that's probably not gonna make make any sense i'll i'll make sure that people
0: know i'll say it intro. (laughs) <laughs> um i usually ask we usually ask at the end of the podcast what persistent and nasty means to you so emma-jane park rosie priest what does persistent and nasty mean to you uh it's
2: speaking silence out. speaking <laughs> out persistent and nasty speaking out speaking to my truth is that a thing is that a saying yeah I don't know it's not really my jam it doesn't really fit with my brand but (laughs) (laughs) I think um yeah speak speaking out speaking loudly that's what it means to me love it like
3: persistent is sustainability like persistent and consistent and then nasty is like like a lemon where you, that first taste makes you like, Whoa, but once you've let it sit in your mouth for a bit, you're like, actually, yes. Ooh. So it's that kind of nasty where you're like. <laughs>
0: I love it. <laughs> I love it. Um, Emma Jane Park, Rosie Priest. Magnificent. It was magnificent. total joy. I'm not a you both <laughs> so much for uh, joining us. Yeah. Um, Oh Aww. joyful. I love you both. I can't express my love for you enough. I know.
1: It's been, it's been an epic couple of hours.
0: I mean, there's a lot to digest. There's a lot um, to digest. But yeah. Um, until next time, listeners.
1: <laughs> Stay nice. Stay nice.